Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hello, everybody. My name is Maria Rosa Moroso. I go by the short name of Mia. Um, so I'm currently located in the Netherlands, but you hear a funny accent. So my background is actually, I'm Italian, but I grew up in Sweden. So uh, from Italian parents, and now I ended up in the uh, beautiful Netherlands. The most interesting thing sort of near and around me is uh, that we do live in a very diverse and international context and environment. And that is something that I truly, truly appreciate. Plus, super close to Schiphol Airport, so we can fly wherever we want, whenever we need, and hopefully we will resume flying very, very soon again. What I absolutely love working in is obviously knowledge management. That is why I sit here today with Edwin, and we have our conversation. A lot has happened throughout the years and, and many, many, um, I wouldn't call them challenges because I don't believe in challenges. I believe in a lot of opportunities that are just staggered one after the other. And the best opportunity that I've had so far was to be entrusted with developing the NCI agency's uh, vision for knowledge management. So obviously the first one ever and since then many more have have succeeded. Currently, I work in a field of international and government, it's an international and governmental organization or better known as NATO overall. And NATO, as we all know, yes, indeed, military organization, but also a very political organization. So I prefer defining it as just an international governmental organization because it's a, it's a hybrid. It's a mix between the two. Currently, I work for one of NATO's largest agencies, the NATO Communication and Information Agency. The agency provides C4ISR and IT capabilities and support across NATO and the nations. Interesting and international flair to the whole organization. If we look at the last book I read, I have to mention Robin Sharma, the everyday uh, hero manifesto that's the most recent and i'm still reading it i'm still reading it obviously if, if you have not and if you are not familiar with robin sharma i can only but highly recommend that reading a um, great great writer but also a nice uh, philosophy life of philosophy altogether. Uh, what I'm writing right now myself, I'm, I'm writing the fourth iteration of the NCI agency knowledge management strategy. So the one taking us further in the coming three to five years, depending on what leadership approves. A topic that I can talk about for hours and hours is trust. Because I think trust is at the backbone of everything we do. Trust is at the backbone of sharing. It's at the backbone of successful teams. It's, uh, it's really embedded in any kind of relationship we have, that being private or professional. And the thing is, trust comes at so many different levels. You have the personal trust, you have the professional trust, you have the organizational trust. 
And the thing is, I think that a true magic happens when you start bridging from that professional trust that is pretty easy to achieve. You know, you have a high performer, you have somebody that is truly, truly at the ace of his or her game. Bridging that person into establishing a personal trust with you or with the team, that is where magic happens and that is where the true team spirit comes into play. So trust is really something that I cherish, that I try to live according to, and that I try to embed in the work we do, you know, trying to uh, create organizational trust to encourage sharing. If people trust one another, they will share. Tell me how you install the effect of trust in an organization. That's a big question. That's a really, really big question. So it's probably got a simple answer like how do you roll out knowledge management in an organization, right? It I is mean. it is as simple <laughs> as that. But I think it's it's yeah. I think when it comes to trust, and this is where you say, Wait, how do you do it? So what I can achieve personally within the IKM core team or within the IKM community the information and knowledge management community is limited to what we can achieve organizational-wide. And that is why, exactly as you said, with knowledge management and how you roll out a big knowledge management effort, you need different players involved. Mm -hmm. And you need that cross-segmental participation. You need human resources embedded. First of all, you need leadership. And this is a taking, you know, we all say it, we need leadership buy-in, but what does that mean? What it means for us, at least as the NCI agency, is that we are blessed with having the second in command or the chief of staff being the IKM senior official. So he is really the champion of the information Mm -hmm. knowledge management program. And in my role as the head of information and knowledge management, I report exclusively to the chief of staff. Having that leadership buy-in then helps us create a broader governance body and helps us bring in all those parts of the business that need to help us create trust. Mm -hmm. Because creating trust means, for me, is that we create an environment where it is also safe to fail. It is an environment where, indeed, we share. We also share drafts because we all know it is a draft and therefore it is not perfect. (laughs) But the moment you manage to get people to start sharing internally to an enterprise, to an organization, even non-finished products, as long as they are labeled as such, then you start creating an environment where people will start collaborating as well. You just stepped into the word I wanted to say is that you're you're talking about creating a collaborative and non-punitive, and that's what you get into the allow to fail because that gives also an allow to experiment and be a laboratory and to try things that haven't been done before. And I think that culture 
fosters trust in and of itself, but it also sets yourself up for blocking trust depending on personality. So when you talked about your leadership, giving you the, in the military, we would say they gave you cover, they give you cover to go forth and, 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 and do your job. That means they're taking the flack with that leadership, pulling that forward or creating that ability to exist. The culture itself has to exhibit and behave in a way that allows trust to be built. Indeed. But do you think in an international organization such as yourself, Mm -hmm. do you find pockets of resistance or pockets of acceptance depending on location, region, um, time zone, you know, I don't know. What, what are those factors that help or stop or hinder trust building? In all reality, in the NCIA agency or in NATO overall, I mean, we are an alliance of 30 nations. So in addition to the nationality cultures that have to coexist and collaborate more than coexist, they really have to to collaborate with one another. We also, as you said- I just want to say that's a great distinction. Coexisting and collaboration are two totally different existences. I like that. Indeed, so they have to collaborate. And the thing is, but I think we are blessed because being an alliance that is really built, the backbone of the alliance is really collaboration. And uh, the beauty with NATO is that the backbone for information and knowledge management in NATO is responsibility to share balanced against the security principle of need to know. And having that as the military backbone really uh, helps us, helps us immensely. And if I go back to the pockets of resistance and the different cultures, Mm. so in addition to the 30 nations, yes, indeed, in our a specific case, we are distributed on 30 plus locations. We have uh, about 3000 people in total on these 30 plus locations. Plus we have different profiles within the agency. So obviously we have military staff, we have civilians. So that's another layer of this cultural complexity. In addition to that, we also have the SME groups that are really, really thick. They, they, they stick together. Ah. And you will have the engineering community, mm. the, you will have the acquisition community. And obviously, it's, it's culture within the culture within yes. the culture. Now, the beauty is that the main factor, though, is we are all NATO. Yeah. And being all NATO, we have that common goal, that common vision, and we all believe in sort of very similar things. So from that aspect, all these subcultures are overcome. Because you have that bigger picture, that right. bigger so, glue keeping so us all together. When you say subcultures, I also say what's beside a subculture is a counterculture. So do you have counterculture issues? I, I think we all will, <laughs> we will all have that. I mean, there will all, as we say, you know, information knowledge management, it, like in social media, by the way, you always have that 
80-20 rule or even 90-10 rule if you want in the sense that you will always have a certain percentage mm -hmm. that will swim against the tide <laughs> it, it is it is normal it is normal on the other hand it is not always negative because mm. sometimes you do need that voice of reason sometimes you need that do swim against yeah. the tide no. and will tell you that because they will maybe highlight other yeah. and that is why i do not believe in challenges i believe in opportunities yeah. and if you look at them and what they have to say uh, there could be good gems in there to use and leverage from. you're flipping the coin here because most people think of resistance and conflict as a negative right when you're dealing with a committee when you're dealing with a board when you're dealing with lots of people and you may not necessarily have to get to consensus to where you're a hundred percent but at least if you have room for the voice of the ten percent to say hey uh, i don't think like you guys do and did you think about this as long as there's room for those folks to exist and be recognized that is a big plus okay. they don't become an underground counterculture they're they're up top and they're saying oh yeah we don't we're not drinking a kool-aid with you folks so indeed as long as there's nobody punching them down to say sit down and be quiet you don't know what you're talking about or no, no, no. that negativity exactly right? you have to let that exist you can't just root it out and say we're all going this way I agree, Edwin. But that comes back to the trust we were just talking about before. Yeah. Because it comes back to the fact that allowing everybody to share, that being an opinion, that being something that sort of spans outside from the normal information, records, and content management, and just allowing them a voice. And as we always say internally, the code of conduct applies everywhere that being online or offline. So as long as you are being courteous, that you are adhering to the normal courtesy code that we have, then please, by all means, speak up. And internally, we do have sort of a microblogging capability. So we do. Anybody has a voice and they can, they can put something out there. And sometimes it's just a work-related question and sometimes is an alert on something. You know, I can't mm -hmm. find X, Y, and Z, which is mm -hmm. fine. Uh, so we have all types, but also the fact of being able to speak up, even if you have an opinion that is different from somebody else's as long as we keep it, you know, civil. Well, you bring up a, a valid point that I think a lot of organizations skip over is how do they communicate within their own organization? The rules of engagement, the list of protocols that we, we will do this, we will not allow that. And as long as everybody comes to the table with the same agreement, then okay, we're good to go. I think a lot of organizations skip that part and they just let people show up as they are and yeah. without any real understanding of what the rules but are. There, Edwin, there we are a little bit old fashioned. <laughs> you know, we're NATO. <laughs> so being NATO, we have old traditions that we stick to. Oh. And those are the code of conduct, uh -huh. you know? It's the way we are able to coexist with between 30 nations. Well, coexist and allow collaboration, as you said, you know, if you don't have those rules- It has evolved it, it, over the years. Yeah. In your build of this strategy, what's your biggest challenge in that? So if you've got to deal with all these parts and pieces, all these different collaborators, 
how do you get them to come to the same sheet music? So indeed, I, information and knowledge management best practice. We take the longer development route. So we do it in a really consensus driven manner as the rest of NATO. NATO, all decisions are consensus. They build upon the consensus of 30 nations. And we do the same inside our agency which means that we have a, a tasking system. So we go out and there will be a first draft. There will be a revision of that draft. As I said, we have the governance team. So it's a cross-segmental governance team that will do the first cut. They will go in and okay. really revise. Uh, I will add another layer that is in order to get buy-in, you need broad engagement from the start. We are spread. We are spread as segments. We are spread locationally. We have a lot of people. So what we have, we have a network of officers that have been designated to really execute on our knowledge management strategy. And they will be involved early on in the revision. So in the revision that we are doing right now, they are involved because they have been sort of on this journey with us for so right. many years by now, some newer, some, some longer, but, but still many of them ha have been with us for, for many, many years. So what we do is we involve them early on. They are part of the revision work. So everybody can sort of add and say, yeah, but what about this? And have we forgotten this? And should we address this? Now we right. do try to keep a little bit of continuity so that we don't revolutionize it completely, but we do amend it. We improve it from every iteration. Mm -hmm. We have improved it. We started off with a one year strategy because we wanted to be humble. And then we went on with a longer time frame. So they started and they engaged. Second step is to get it the governance board involved and they will do their bits and pieces. They will revise again. And then it goes into a formal tasking and then it goes out to everybody in the business and all the business leads. And they will then go in, they will consult within, and uh, after a few months of revision, then we will have a product that is ready. And at a certain point, we will address the comments, we will go back. It's a lengthy process, but at yeah. the end, we have something that maybe not everybody agrees to, but everybody has a see in it. So the moment we start to really um, executing against mm -hmm. it, then it will not come as a surprise. Sure. I get the buy-in up front, and I get the idea of trying to not dictate, but involve everybody involved to be part of the process, yeah. right? Yeah. With that, when you've got that high caliber approach, it could drag out forever. So do you have yeah. set time? We're going to take yes. this to this yes. point and then we're going to the next step. Yeah, the tasking process itself has a standard operating procedure. So we will know upfront that we have a two weeks time frame for the Got first it. revision, a two week time frame for the yep. second revision. And then there is a certain point where and again, this is where we have executive leadership mm -hmm. buy-in. There will come a point where we say, now we yeah. draw the stop here. Now we have okay. to draw the line and next step. Now, one interesting point is one thing is having the coordination and having the understanding of the strategy. 
the other thing is the content that goes into the strategy you know how do you define what comes yeah. first how do you prioritize what will be your focus and that is something that we do with the previous years when we have done our benchmarking we have done our intranet survey we have done our other customer mm. surveys but we have also collected throughout the previous strategy period of three years was the last one we have collected inputs and requirements from the business to try to understand what do we need to address next well, it sounds like you've almost combined a standard operating procedure and a strategy because sometimes I think a lot of people think a strategy is kind of a top layer look at things. And, uh, but when it comes to the practice, you know, it, it doesn't become an active document, but you're talking about something totally uh, engageable. Yes. Yes. It's a usable product because it's not just a guideline it is how we're going to do things it is it is intended as our guiding star it is intended to set our priorities you know are we prioritizing uh, internal knowledge creation are we prioritizing uh, exchange with external stakeholders what are we prioritizing and the thing is we do have in total uh, five strategic objectives and these are the ones that we are sort of forming our strategy around mm. and then we have a mm. tactical document which is a plan and the plan goes into all the details, you know, we should do okay. her for each objective. We have all the to do the to do list. Mm -hmm. And that is more of the tactical aspect. And then in addition to that, obviously, being a NATO body, we have a lot of directives and we have actually yeah. we don't have a lot. We have two main directives and then we have a lot of SOPs because indeed, mm -hmm. in order for us to keep content and curation adequate and correct that we do need standard operating procedures and we do need it for, for many other aspects as well you know how do we mark artifacts how do we distribute them how do we uh, deliver them and etc etc in our context we do need uh, exact instructions on how things mm -hmm. are done in addition to that it needs to be said that to me the strategy is uh, is not only you said it you know it's it's a strategic level document and indeed we want it to be simple we want it to be the guiding star but it needs to be understandable the strategy only serves a purpose if it has a purpose if it's just mm. to have things documented then I think we have forgotten a little bit why we are here because in <laughs> the end as information and knowledge management, we are embedded in every aspect of day-to-day -day business. And mm. if we can't provide value, so should our documentation. They should also yeah. provide value. If not, we, yeah. have, uh, we have sort of missed something. You're, you're building something that is an action-oriented output. You are not building something that's going to be a three-ring binder on a shelf somewhere. No, it indeed. is going to be integrated into the practice. Yes, yes. It okay. has to. Well, uh, all right. So how do you strategize your organization for innovation? For innovation? That to me, in, I, in information and knowledge management terms, uh, I look at the knowledge creation bit. That is to me the 
innovation bit. But I think if it comes to innovation, often we focus on you know technical innovation or uh, capability mm. development or anything that is. So I, I think we need to make a distinction here between you know the business innovation and the information knowledge management innovation that could be oh, from a different perspective it could be more mm. of a, a process oriented innovation right. let us look at the business aspect we are blessed in the agency we have sort of an innovation department it's a smaller core department but their work is really to look outside in the business on where there could be innovative aspects happening within the ongoing work. So let's assume that we are developing as a core capability uh, certain technologies and there could be spin-offs from there into different right. technology aspects that we have not been requested to do, but mm -hmm. it's just natural spin-offs. Mm -hmm. And in that case, because we shouldn't waste any good idea or any good effort. So that is one way they harvest that. But they also have sort of ongoing external engagement with industry and academia where we have competitions going on. Last year, we had a 5G effort, or we actually have a yearly cyber uh, innovation efforts going on and from there there is always good industry and academia collaboration and inputs mm -hmm. uh, that we can then advertise we can champion nice. and hopefully within the rest of the NATO community somebody will see it as mm -hmm. interesting and ask us to continue the development but again that is one way of doing it from an IKM perspective what we have, we have communities of practice, so we have a whole auto-generated, so anybody can start up a completely free-floating community of practice on any topic. And we do have it. So, for example, our software engineering colleagues, and they are spread across the organization in different segments because they sit in different organizational units. They have their own community of practice where they discuss amongst them aspects of their interest. And now again, it's always difficult, you know, when you have uh, tight timelines and milestones and project deliverables, it is difficult to find time. But we have noticed that because it's completely on a voluntary basis and these are people that join together to discuss topics of their passion so in my case it's trust mm -hmm. or i would add a second one which is uh, transparency mm -hmm. i love transparency these are my two <laughs> favorite words but if we look at that uh, they have really found their own passion because many of them are really really yeah. passionate about what they do so we have just allowed them an online platform to start sharing something that goes beyond their hierarchical belonging or their segmental belonging and they can just do their innovation there yeah. and innovation happens there as well but i think innovation happens it depends on how far out you will go but innovation can really be anything it can be a, an innovative process somebody says listen it's better to do it this way and if we just start looking at it as innovation for as small as it is then that's the way it goes the grease that keeps that all moving is it goes back to your main focus which is trust yeah. so these communities of practice can exist 
but you're providing a structure for that to just create and happen and and within the walls of the organization and that is a very it's a what, what's the word tending the garden you're basically tending the garden by setting the proper conditions for things to grow indeed it's supposed to be organic. It's just yes. supposed to be people just communicating. That's it. Yeah. And again, when you come to the uh, safe to fail, it's the same here. Because we do accept that some communities will exist for years and others will just disappear. And it is okay. Yeah. Because during that period of time, they have used it. Mm -hmm. They have made some value out of it. Is it long-term value? Is it short-term value? Doesn't really matter. It's a little bit like, you know, leading something or being the, the head of something. You do not necessarily need to know mm -hmm. everything that goes on. As long as you know that those that need to know, they, they, they know. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot here and you tell me what knowledge management is, Ooh. my friend. What knowledge management is. To me, it's the process of enabling information to flow and knowledge to flourish. I like that. Those are very organic gardening terms that I like. Flow and flourish. Oh. Uh, because we are organic, our organic creatures. We tend to exist better in an environment that just fosters growth, period. And those that have had the challenge or opportunity to work in an environment that pummels down all that growth and self-expression is a, a life sapper. You know, it just saps the life out of you when you have to feel so negative in an environment that they don't let you create. Life and living is creation. You have an opportunity to create. Yeah, yeah. I think people just naturally find that as a plus. Yeah. Why not build an environment that it fosters yeah. all of that to begin with? And that's not just a knowledge yeah. management paradigm. That's just yeah. culture yeah. itself. So that's just exciting. I, I like that definition yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. At, at the end, it comes down to enabling people to really become the best of themselves. Mm -hmm. And then by, by doing so, they will then help the organization become better and better yeah. and but again it doesn't come on its own no. it it it, uh, <laughs> it needs a lot of of care mm -hmm. it needs a lot of care and it's a care that obviously ikm cannot do alone it, it is ikm is just one one tiny part of it if you want it is it is much more but i do believe that from an information and knowledge management perspective what we can foster is transparency mm. we can foster openness we can also put in place some technology to help us force the hand a little bit and sort of you know uh, share as a matter of principle and restrict as a matter of exception these kind of things and and if we put these guidelines out there over time it will change mm -hmm. it will not happen overnight but over time it will change yeah. and we have seen our journey has come from a traditional past 
where you would sort of protect mm -hmm. what you knew mm -hmm. and you would hold on a little bit to it and the need to know was really, really heavily ingrained. And we are developing every year better and better. And I see, you know, the latest thing we launched last year was the Oscar Award. If you look at it, it's around the Oscar values and they are all sharing values. Uh, it's obtain, share, collaborate, advance and reuse. That is what Oscar stands for. We don't have a board for it. It is really staff members suggesting their colleagues with a little description and then we just open up the platform for likes and people will start voting and at the end it has been such a success so we have already awarded for 12 17 staff members in 2021 and we have just started the first quarter 2022 cycle of oscar award winners so this is something that we do internal to the agency and we were mentioned by the american productivity and quality center that's our incentive program for knowledge sharing so this is something that we are very very proud of and it's again it's built upon people really engaging into the strategic uh, objectives, which is sharing in this case, and buying into it and living according to it. And practicing. I like that whole idea. I want to get an Oscar. <laughs> I, I, I want to be in on that. Thank you for sharing everything you've got going on. It sounds like you've got such an enterprise to bring you all kinds of opportunities to expand your brain and, and keep things plugging. Uh, it just sounds amazing. And I would love to have you back. Thank you, Edwin. I would love to be back. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.